pray with me? Father, the only reason we can go to Jesus is because Jesus first came to us. And we thank you for that so that now, Father, we can, in our sin, run to Christ and find the hope of salvation and everlasting life. Father, as we come to this time in our service where we open up your word, Father, I pray, pray that you would do what only you can do. Father, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of your word. Father, every one of us will make a decision today. Either we will receive your word or we will reject it. Father, there's no in-between. Father, we don't, we don't put it off till later. To put it off till later is to reject today. And Father, I pray for my heart, for the hearts of everyone here. Father, that we would receive your word with humble hearts. Father, we would obey your word with a trust that you are God and that you are good, that you are worthy of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're turning to the book of Jonah in your Bible on the Old Testament, uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, um, as you're turning there, uh, I wanted to remind you about something that happened um, several years ago now. It kind of seems like it was just yesterday, but uh, there's, I guess there's probably folks in the, I know there's folks in this room that weren't even alive when this took place. Uh, but in 2004, uh, in the Indian Ocean, there was an earthquake that then led to a massive tsunami. You remember when that happened? Uh, it was huge. It was one of the deadliest natural disasters ever, December 26, 2004. And I was reading this article that someone wrote just, uh, just a couple of years ago about that incident. And I just wanted to share her words with you. She said, seven years before the earthquake and subsequent tsunami, a top government official in Thailand warned that the country would soon be hit by a tsunami. His calls were ignored, and he was termed, quote, crazy. He was also banned from entering some parts of Thailand where he was considered a threat to tourism. The Pacific Ocean Tsunami Warning System also called the embassies and government officials of several Asian countries after the earthquake and warned that they were at risk of a possible tsunami. Many countries ignored the warning, and even those that listened didn't take any tangible action. Many countries still ignored the threat when it hit their outlying coasts and even refused to warn people living in the inlying coasts. In Indonesia, the sea receded several hundred meters after the earthquake. That was a clear warning of an incoming tsunami, but many didn't know this. And some even ran into the retreated ocean to catch stranded fish, while others simply looked on and wondered what was happening. You know, warnings are a good thing. Warnings are a good thing, but only if those being warned hear the warning and heed the warning. Today we're going to see a very clear warning sent from God to a group of people who were living in wickedness. They were living in rebellion against the God who had created them. 
And as we look at this warning, we're going to learn about God's deep love and how we should respond to God's loving warning. Jonah chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. God's woeful warning to a perishing people. God's woeful warning to a perishing people. If you recall, past couple of weeks we have uh, been working our way through this book of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet of God, and he's a prophet in the nation of Israel, but God sent him on a special assignment. He was going to go to a, a foreign people. He was going to go to uh, the, the nation of Assyria, to the city of Nineveh, and about 500 miles from where he lived, and he was going to tell them that God, their wickedness had come before God. But as we saw in chapter 1, Jonah ran the other direction. And we saw there God's love pursuing Jonah. And we learned that God's love pursues us when we run. And at the end of chapter 1, God had chased down Jonah, so to speak. And Jonah found himself sinking in the ocean. And God sent a great fish to swallow him, which doesn't seem like a fun thing. But it was actually God's way of rescuing Jonah. So in chapter 2... We learn that God's love saves us from death. God's love saves us from death. Now as we jump into chapter 3 today, we're going to see that God's love warns us lest we perish. God's love warns us lest we perish. Now you're not going to see the word love in chapter 3, but that's okay. It doesn't mean that God's love has disappeared. We see that word steadfast love is one word in the hebrew we see that at the end of chapter two and at the beginning of chapter four and that really is the theme of the entire book so you're not going to see the word love but you're going to see god's love on display god's love warns us lest we perish if you will follow along in your copy of god's word as we read jonah chapter three and then the word of the lord came to jonah the second time saying Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God's woeful warning to a perishing people. I want you to notice four truths today about God's woeful warning to a perishing people. Number one is this. Perishing people need to hear God's woeful warning. Perishing people need to hear, need to hear God's woeful warning. And God knew that. 
And he wanted his warning to go to the Ninevites. And so he called his prophet to go. But as we saw in chapter one, Jonah went the other direction. Now God has given Jonah another chance to be obedient. And after Jonah's experiences in chapter one and chapter two, Jonah obeys immediately. It's interesting that God's command doesn't change. Jonah's actions change, but God's command doesn't change. It's the same command we saw at the beginning of chapter one. Arise, get up, he says, get up, Jonah, and go to Nineveh, that great city. In chapter one, we saw that that city was full of evil. We said in chapter two, uh, chapter one, verse two, for their evil has come up before me. Now in chapter three, he tells Jonah, call out against it the message that I tell you. What is God's response to wickedness? Because he is a holy God, he must punish sin. He must must punish wickedness. And so the, the message that Jonah is to preach is a message of judgment. So Jonah rose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. We learned that Nineveh was a, was a very great city. It was great, not in its goodness, because it was full of wickedness, but it was great in its size and its importance in that day and time. It was a large city. Three days journey in breadth. Doesn't necessarily mean that it would have taken three full days to start at one side and, and cross to the other could mean that it would take three days to see the city. It was, it was that large of a city. Um, could mean that those three days, one was walking into the city. One for Jonah would have been sharing the message and then one day walking out. But either way, this was a large, important city that was full of great wickedness. And that wickedness had come up before God. And notice Jonah's message that he proclaims. It's a very short message, just a few words. He goes into the city going a day's journey and he called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's all we have of the sermon that Jonah preached to to the Ninevites. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This word overthrow is a key word in this passage. One of three very important words that we see in Jonah chapter 3. This word overthrow. It can be used in scripture to speak of God's judgment. Of God's judgment. And we see it used here that way. It's interesting also that it can be used to show the turning around of someone. The turning around of a situation or a circumstance. God, in his sovereignty, knew what was coming. And it's interesting that this word that is used can mean both the judgment of God coming or people turning. But all Jonah knows at this point is he's supposed to call out against this city. Yet 40 days and you shall be overthrown. And all the Ninevites know at this point is we're in trouble. We're in trouble. They hear this warning. You know, messages of judgment are not fun to hear. They're not. And we often run from messages of judgment. They're not popular to talk about. They're not popular to preach. They're not fun. When someone says that God is a God who is just and He pours out wrath against sin and we are sinners... And that means that we deserve His punishment. 
And because He is an eternal God, then the just punishment for our sin is an eternal death. Not annihilation where we just seek to exist. Scripture says the just punishment for our sins is experiencing death forever and ever and ever. We don't like to hear that. But you know what? If you don't know that the tsunami is coming, then you'll never know to take cover. One of the most loving things that God does is warn us of His wrath. Warn us of His wrath. A lot of people think that God's hateful because of that. He's not. His messages of judgment are loving messages of warning. And so we even see God's love coming across in His warning to the Ninevites. God's warning is full of love. You know, for believers in Christ, we're called to share God's message with other people. And sometimes people don't want to hear God's message. They don't want to know and learn and and, and be taught about the fact that they have sin in their hearts. But we can't run away from that calling just because people may not want to hear it. We must see that message as a message of love. It's loving for us to warn people of the wrath that is to come. Now, there is a difference here between God and Jonah. God's message is is a message prompted by love. Jonah's voice and his words is simply prompted by a desire not to get thrown back into the ocean and deal with all of that mess again. Jonah doesn't really have a heart of love for the people of Nineveh. And we'll see that in chapter 4, so we're not going to talk about that too much. But know that even though Jonah's heart was in the wrong place, as he's sharing this message, the words of God that are coming from his mouth are words of love. As this perishing people are warned about God's coming judgment. Truth number two today. Perishing people need to believe God's woeful warning. Perishing people need to believe God's woeful warning. It's a warning of woe. And they've heard it. But do you know a a warning, even though you hear it, doesn't do you any good unless you believe it, right? I mean, you can tell a child, don't touch the stove because it's hot. And that child may hear you. But if that child doesn't believe you, that warning is not going to do that child any good. Not only do you have to hear the warning, you have to believe it. Notice what happens next in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This was the best response that they could possibly have. They believed this message from God. They didn't even simply believe this messenger. It wasn't just that, hey, here's an interesting guy that's a foreigner that's coming to our city and, and preaching this message. It wasn't even about Jonah. They believed Jonah's God. They believed in God. They believed that his words were true. And it led to action on their part. It wasn't just lip service. Oh, yeah, we believe that. And then they continued about their daily lives. No, 
Their belief changed their actions. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. That's a sign of humility. They were humbled before God. They were humbled before God. And notice how many of them, from the greatest of them to the least of them. You see, even the greatest of them didn't look around and say, oh yeah, that's for you lesser people out there. Y'all should humble yourselves before God. I don't, they probably didn't use the word y'all. But I'm going I'm to pretend they did. Y'all, y'all should humble yourselves. No, from the greatest to the least of them. What do we learn about that? That no one was outside the coming judgment. No one could look at who they are. No one could look at their status in society and say, well, God wouldn't punish me. From the greatest of them to the least of them, they humbled themselves. Why? Because all were equally under the wrath of God. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. No one was outside the coming judgment, so no one could refuse to respond in humility if he or she wanted any hope of rescue. They had to hear the warning and believe the warning. But then notice the third truth that we see in this passage. Perishing people need to repent upon hearing God's woeful warning. Perishing people need to repent upon hearing God's woeful warning. We must hear the warning. We must believe that God's word is true when he says that wrath is coming. And then that should lead to a response of repentance. This word repentance simply means to turn. When you're going in one direction and you turn and start going the other direction. That's what the word repent means. Notice verses 6 through 9. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Notice the action that the king takes there in verse six. This is the king, right? And notice his response of humility. He gets up off of his throne and he takes off his robe. You don't do that if you're the king. The robe is a sign that you're in power and you sitting in the, on the throne is a sign that you are in control. And all of a sudden, this king, this earthly king, realizes that he is not in power and he is not in control. There is one who is greater than him. And it is the God of Jonah. It is Yahweh, God Most High. And so he gets off of the throne. He takes off of his robe. And in its place, he puts on sackcloth. Again, a sign of humility. A sign that, that God has humbled him. He's recognized his wickedness and the wickedness of his city. And instead of sitting back on the throne, he sits down in the dirt. He sits down in the ashes. It's a heart that's been humbled. And I wonder today, your heart needs to be humbled 
today, you need to realize that you may think that you are in control of your life, that you're calling the shots, and you can escape from the wrath of God. But today, you need to hear God's loving warning and believe it. And humble yourself like this king did. But he goes further. He issues a decree. And and, and if we go back to verse 5, we see that the people are already responding in repentance. But he takes it a step further. He increases the intensity of the response. They were fasting. He says, no drink either. Don't Don't just not eat food. Don't even drink anything. He increases the intensity of the response. He increases the scope of the response. He says, hey, let's, let's, let's let all the, all the animals join in as well. I mean, we've we got to make sure that we turn from sin and we've got to make sure that we don't have to come under the judgment and wrath of God. So not just the people, but all the animals. They're going to fast. They're going to put on sackcloth. They're not going to drink anything. I mean, this is, a, this is a creation-wide response in this city, if you will, to the warning that God's wrath is coming. He increases the intensity of the response, the scope of the response. And we also see the king increase the depth of the response. So let's not just stop with this act of humility, putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes. You see, the real issue is that we are rebelling against God. And so we need to turn from our wicked way. I told you there were three important words in chapter one, in chapter three. Three important words in chapter three. The first was the word overthrow. Overthrow. That was the message. A message that you've sinned, you're wicked, and there's a warning that you're going to be overthrown by God. Second important word is the word turn. It's the word turn. And we see it repeated several times. In verse 8, the king says, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. That is repentance. To turn from that which displeases God. See, it wasn't enough just to say, Oh man, I've, I've sinned against God. And then keep living however they were living. They needed to be humbled and they needed to turn from that wickedness. And so he issues this, this decree. Stop doing the violence that you are doing. We learn and, and do some research about the people of Assyria. We learn about the magnitude of their wickedness. They were a wicked, wicked people. They were a horror to their enemies. People were horrified of the Assyrians because of how they treated others. It's a wicked, wicked city. And the king says, we got to stop it. We have to stop this sinning against God. And then notice the question of verse 9. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 9 is a beautiful verse. You see, why would the king do this? I mean, all Jonah has said is 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. But the king thinks, perhaps, maybe, if we will stop our wicked ways in turn, perhaps God will turn from the disaster that is coming towards us. And he, he mentions this third word, which is the third beautiful word in this passage. First was overthrow. 
That's the message. The second is the word turn. That's the response that we should have towards God's coming judgment. And the third word is this word is translated different ways. The word relent. Really, it could almost be translated turn as well. But it has the, 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 the idea of compassion behind it. We could almost say it this way. Who knows? God may turn and have compassion on us and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Notice the hope. Why is the king doing this? Because he has this hope that perhaps God will have compassion on them and will turn from his anger towards them so that they would not perish. But would he? Would he? That question is interesting to me. Who knows? Who knows? He was hoping, but he wasn't sure. Perhaps, perhaps God will have compassion and not give us the punishment that we deserve. You know something? A warning is worthless if there's no possibility of escaping whatever it is you're being warned about. The warning really doesn't do any good, even if you hear it and believe it, if there's no hope of escape. The most beautiful warnings are the warnings that we hear and believe and change our course of action, but then the outcome is that we're rescued, that we escape from whatever it is that we're being warned about. And that's what this king is hoping for. He's hoping that there's a chance that this God who he and his entire city have offended will turn and have compassion on them and not destroy them. The possibility is completely dependent upon God. They could do all of these things. They could believe God. They could turn from their wickedness. But now it's in God's hands. It's up to him. Will he show compassion or will he not? There's nothing that they can do to twist his arm. He is God most high. He is sovereign. He can do as he pleases. But verse 10. Oh, but verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Truth number four today, perishing people are spared upon heeding God's woeful warning. Perishing people are spared upon heeding God's woeful warning. This is the good news. This is the good news that when we hear the warning, and when we believe the warning, and when we respond with repentance, God shows compassion and spares us His wrath. The city didn't deserve it. They didn't do a bunch of good works to make up for their unrighteousness. God didn't say, if you'll serve me for the next 40 days or the next 40 years or the next 400 years, I'll hold off my wrath. He just looked at their belief and their repentance. And he turned from 
the disaster that he had said he would do. We see those words repeated again. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. That's that word compassion again. God showed compassion in turning from the disaster that he had said he would do to them. How will God respond? That is, that is the climax of chapter 3. How is he going to respond? And he responds with compassion. And they are spared his wrath. God will respond to repentant sinners with his mercy and with his love and with his grace. You know, God's compassionate love knows no bounds when it comes to different situations in our lives and the different peoples of the world. This wasn't God's chosen people. This wasn't Israel. This was Nineveh. This was the enemy of God's chosen people. It didn't matter what language they spoke. It didn't matter where they were located on the map. You know what? It didn't even matter how wicked they were. Perhaps you're here today and you say, oh, but if you only knew, if you only knew what I had done, if you only knew the depths of my sin, you would know that there's no way, there's no way that God could turn from the wrath that I deserve. If that's you today, can I just tell you, if you only knew the depth of God's love for you. You say, how, does, how do you know that He loves us that much? Because of a man named Jesus, who is the Son of God, who left His throne in heaven and came into our wicked world and loved us to the point of death. His death on a cross, where in his dying, he took the wrath that we deserve upon himself, so that all who would believe in him, who would trust in him, turning from their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ alone, would be saved. Jesus talked about Jonah. I don't know if you know that or not, but he did. Jesus talked about Jonah. And this is what he said. He was talking to a bunch of people who weren't paying him any attention. They had hard hearts. And this is what Jesus said. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. A couple of verses later, he says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. He's saying, listen, Jonah, who didn't even like the people of Nineveh, walked into Nineveh and said, God's wrath is coming and they repent. I am here and I love you so much and I am telling you the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe and you're not repenting. And so at the judgment, the people of Nineveh will rise up and condemn you and say, listen, we have somebody that didn't even like us come and tell us that we needed to turn. 
that God's judgment was coming. And we believed him. You had Jesus come to you and you didn't believe. So what will your response be? Someone greater than Jonah is here. Someone who loves you so much that he doesn't just come and preach a message to you and tell you about God's wrath. He dies for you and takes God's wrath for you. I was reminded of a verse from someone just a little while ago. In 1 Peter chapter 2. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Listen, someone better than Jonah is here. And his name is Jesus. And he has done everything necessary to save you from your sin. His call is for you to repent of your sin and to believe in him. You know, because of Jesus, we don't have to ask that question that the king asked. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. Oh, I'll believe in Jesus, but who knows if it'll work? No, we get to have confidence. We get to have confidence in our salvation. Not because of who we are. It's not an arrogant confidence, but we know that God will relent when we repent and believe in Jesus. Because our confidence is in God's promise to save. Promise rooted in his character of steadfast love. A love which blossomed into the most compassionate display of love in the history of the world on a cross outside of Jerusalem a couple of thousand years ago. And because Jesus died for our sin and rose from the grave, everyone, listen to me, everyone, no matter your past, no matter what you've done, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. That's the message of chapter 3. A message that's going to be overthrown. You're going to be overthrown. A response of turning, of repentance. And then God's response to the repentance of compassionate turning from His destruction, His wrath. And that's the message of the Gospel. Right there in Jonah chapter 3. You're either in one of two places today. Either today you're lost in your sin and you need to hear and respond to the message of the gospel. You need to hear the warning. You need to believe that it's true. You need to turn from your sin, trusting in Jesus Christ, and then you will experience God sparing you from His wrath. Or you have experienced that. You've experienced the love of Jesus. You've experienced that steadfast love. You have been rescued from your sin. And if that's true of you, then God has sent you on a mission with this message. And we need to proclaim this message to the perishing people all around us. But we don't just have to say, judgment is coming. 
we get to follow that up with, but Jesus has come. And the good news is that you can turn to Him and be saved. Either you need to be saved today, or you need to be burdened for those in your life who need to be saved, and you need to be the messenger of God's love to them. One last thing before we close. There's one difference between the warning today for us and the warning given to the Ninevites. Something that I didn't even think about till I don't know, I think it was last night. In Jonah's short little message, he said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I can't say to you today, yet 40 days and you'll experience God's wrath. Because we don't know how much time we have. We're not given that information. God gave it to the Ninevites, but He doesn't give that to us. It could be 40 years from now. It could be 40 minutes from now. And so, our response must be now. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Turn to Christ. I want to read the first paragraph of that article that I quoted earlier. More than 230,000 people were killed, 500,000 were injured, and 1.7 million were left homeless on December 26, 2004, after... A 9.2 magnitude earthquake caused a tsunami that affected 14 countries in Asia and eastern and southern Africa. The incident remains one of the deadliest natural disasters in recorded human history. Last sentence of that paragraph. The death toll could have been less had warnings been heeded. Will you heed the warning today? you bow your heads, close your eyes. If today this warning has struck a chord in your heart and you know that you're perishing in your sin, you know that you have sinned against a holy God, and you know, if you're honest with yourself, that you deserve to be punished for your sin. You have an opportunity today to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. God has lovingly provided a way of rescue from His wrath. But you have to receive it. You have to repent of your sins. That means to confess to God and say, God, I know that I have sinned against You. And I want to turn from that. But God, I know I can't do that on my own, and so I am trusting in Jesus. I trust in what He did on the cross to rescue me from my sin. I believe in Him. God, spare me from Your wrath, not because I deserve it, but because You have loved me and You have provided Jesus as a sacrifice in my place. You speak that message, that, 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 that prayer, those words, of repentance and faith to the Lord. And He will save you today. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your great love. Father, a love that 
that rescues the vilest of sinners. Father, a love that crosses geographical and and language boundaries. Father, a love that's for all people who will repent and turn to You. Father, thank You for warning us of the wrath that is to come. Thank You for giving us the hope of Jesus Christ. Father, there's someone here today that doesn't know You. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation in their hearts and lives. Father, for those of us who do know You, Father, burden us for those around us who are perishing. And and they don't know it. They need someone to come to them and tell them that Your wrath is real, but that also Your love is real. And that Jesus and His sacrifice is real. Father, I don't know what You're doing in individual hearts right now. But Father, my prayer is that every one of us would be obedient. Father, now is the time for obedience. We're not promised tomorrow. We are here today and gone tomorrow. Father, our lives are like a mist that vanishes. That's what Your Word tells us. Now is the time to be obedient. Now is the time to repent. Now is the time to believe. Father, do what only You can do in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, Amen.